0: Today's scripture reading is out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. It says this, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. will you pray with me father god we thank you for this day and Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you that you are a God who makes promises and that you are a God who keeps those promises. Lord, that there is no lie in you. God, that your love and your grace and your truth is always at the forefront of who you are to us. And so, Father, we praise you. We worship you today as that God. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that the cross wasn't the end of the story, that we get to have resurrection along with your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we, we, we praise you. Thank you for all that you're doing, God. We love you. We thank you.
1: It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 I don't know if you saw me, like, skipping through the parking lot today, right? Man, it's so good to have Jayton and Neth uh, coming in on staff and big, broad smile on my face. Yeah, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and super excited about that. And I'm excited about the word today because uh, we're jumping into Hebrews chapter six. And last week, when you left, it was a little heavy. The warning last week was pretty heavy, and the author of the book of Hebrews is even going to acknowledge that. Look what it says here in the first part of this verse in chapter 6, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, so it's almost like encouraging them, right? Being a football coach, kind of know how those pregame speeches go, and sometimes you just like get on them, and then you're like, let me pull back for a second, let's talk about this, and then you got to push back in. Then he's pulling back, For a second today and kind of giving them a little respite from this challenge. Because if you remember last week, he made this this bold challenge to them. Like, don't be on the edge. Don't be wavering. Like, you need to be all in for Jesus. This walk with Christ is not a part-time job. Following Jesus is not just some time thing. Jesus said, let the dead bury themselves. Come follow me. That following Jesus is full-time. All in. And if you're on the edge of that, take that step of faith. Because so many times I think people say, well, um, I'll accept Jesus later. Like when, when I get later in life and I'm done raising kids and, and, or I, want to, I just want to get married. And we have these excuses for why we don't follow Christ. Let's not live in the excuses. Let's live in following Christ. And so we have this sort of though we speak in this way, and then he's going to encourage them. Yet, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. You say, but I feel good about you guys. You're doing some good things, right? Don't, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't, don't let those things like you. I see some good things. He says, for God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God is not just. Anybody remember back in math, two negatives make a positive? God is not unjust. That means God is just, right? So God is just. Is that a good thing? That God is just, right? It's a good thing. But here's what's hard. God's justice is not good if you live in sin because the wages of sin is death. But what the good news of the gospel is that God isn't just our judge, but he's the one who paid the price for us. So that we could live a new life. That's the good news of the gospel. God is just. And in this verse he's saying, I see your works, I see these good things happening you. Do you remember last week we jumped into Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and read this like really challenging passage about people who had done things for the Lord? And he said, Yeah, but I never knew you. Right before that, a few verses before that in verse 15, he is he, in the Sermon on the Mount, has giving them a more encouragement. And he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware of those who infiltrate the church teaching wrong things. He says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A f- healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. And we see this sort kind of parallel like we did last week where we had a field that when the rain came, it produced good fruit. It crops. And we had another field that produced thistles and thorns, right? And can you get Figs from thistles or grapes from thorns, right? You see this sort of parallel to that story from last week But he says this. Good trees produce good fruit. So are you seeing God produce fruit in your life? Are you letting God produce good fruit in your life? And that's the encouragement that we see here. He said, I see these good works in you. You're doing some good things. And then this incredible verse. I love verse 11 so much. It says, and we desire... Each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Aren't these some great words, right? We desire something, right? It says, we desire each one of you. Have you ever desired for someone to change? You see them go on a destructive path, and you have this desire to help them become more like Christ, right? They, they have this desire. The author has this desire to help them in earnestness, earnestness. Now, that's where earnestness is a cool word, but the Greek word is even cooler. It's spoudé. Isn't that a cool word? Spoudé. I, mean, I wish we had that word in English, just spoudé, right? It's this idea of earnestness. This idea of, of haste, this idea of passion, this idea of zeal. In fact, you see spoudé used in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, where he's given these lists of gifts in there. And one of the gifts is leadership. He said, those who lead need to lead with zeal or spoudé. So if you're a leader, you need to have some spoudé, all right? You need to lead with this passion and this zeal and this excitement. What do you have spude about? What are you passionate about? Like when you wake up in the morning, what gets you excited? For some of you, it's coffee. Some of y'all are just coffee people, man. I mean, I, I'm, I, Chad is a coffee guy, right? And he's just like passionate about coffee, right? And it, are we passionate about your work? Are you passionate about the word? What are we passionate about? Like when you wake up in the morning, what gets you excited? What gets you out of bed? Do you have a passion For the Lord in the same way. Now listen, when I imagine Paul Valdez getting out of bed, right? It's like, woo! Like that's what I imagine Paul when when Paul jumps out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, like he is just ready to go, right? When I roll out of bed, right? I actually have a chair beside our bed in our room, and I like roll out of the chair, out of the bed, into the chair. Then the snooze button comes on. Where am I? Oh yeah, it's Sunday morning, okay. Let's go. I I do not, bing, in the morning, right? When I jump out of bed, it's because I got scared, right? (laughs) It is not like the morning that way. But what gets you going? I've learned for myself that if I don't get out of bed, if I don't have an earnestness, a passion, an excitement about my day, I become sluggish. So we're supposed to have a passion and a zeal. What do you have that passion about? Serve in that way. Because when you have that passion, it's not work, is it? Have you ever thought about that? Work is when you're doing the things you don't really like about the job. But when you're passionate about something, you'll do it all day. Because there's excitement. There's just something in you. And he's saying, we want you to have this passion, zeal, sprudé about hope. Look what he says. The same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. Now, that kind of feels like um, a contradiction, doesn't it? Like, for example, how many of us wish we had full assurance of things? Like, I have a full assurance of my job, or I have full assurance about this thing, right? Full assurance of hope. Too often, when we think about hope, we're like, man, I hope there's a donut left after the service for me. Like, I, I hope for something that's just kind of out there somewhere, right? But this word hope... That's in this verse is different. This word hope is a joyful, confident expectation. A joyful, confident expectation about our salvation. And we're going to see this a little further, scaffolded in later on in in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of joyful confidence in the Lord. Do you have a joyful confidence in your relationship with Jesus Christ? That we look forward to the day that the skies burst open and he returns. We look forward to that day because we have full assurance of this hope. Do you have a joyful confidence in the Lord? Man, how would that change our day? If we were to walk knowing that Christ is real, knowing that there's eternal life in him, then we can set aside the things that so easily entangle us. In this world, full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who are you imitating? Like parents, have you ever seen like that look that you've given your kids and it comes back at you? Or you ever heard that phrase or that word that you use that maybe you maybe shouldn't have used, but all of a sudden it comes back to you, right? They're imitating you and that, and you're like, ooh, they bring out the good imitations and the bad ones. They bring them both out, right? Because imitation is kind of a form of flattery. It's like the things you're around, the people that you're around, they influence you. I remember when I was coaching football um, at Hayes High School, um, I remember I, I, when I walked around, you know, I have style, but it's not good style. I just have style, okay? But I remember I used to wear a towel in my back pocket and had Bible verses on it, and it was so that, to be honest, it was so that I would chew on it whenever I wanted to yell, right? Because I would be like, I just suck on this towel for a little while, like, okay, put it back in my pocket, right? I had a hat on, I had sunglasses on all the time, I had jelly beans in my pocket because I'm a foodie, and so I just had jelly beans on the football field, and then I had this huge play sheet that I called plays off of, and so... We had a powder puff game. Anybody had powder puff before? It's where the girls play flag football and then the guys dress up as the coaches. Uh Uh-oh, imitation time. Here comes my quarterback, Nash McFeeders. He comes out, cap on, glasses on, long old towel out the back pocket there, right? And then he started like imitating me. Like had the play sheet out. You know, he starts walking on the field, like doing all this stuff like, do I do do that, right? (laughs) Do you do that? Because one of them was Coach Ragsdale, and he's like yelling, everybody, right? Coach Ragsdale comes to our church so I can give him a hard time yelling and screaming, right? And so we're like, do we do that? Yeah, we do. Okay. Imitation is different stepping back and seeing who are you imitating, right? Christ. We're supposed to imitate Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 tells us, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Paul's telling him, look, hey, imitate me because I'm chasing Jesus, I know the way. I'll be your guide. I'm, I'm following him. Who are you imitating? This is discipleship. Who are you inviting to imitate you? Now listen, imitation can feel like a lot of pressure, can't it? Like if you knew that I was going to follow, I was going to follow Ryan for a week and then I was going to imitate him in a movie. It could feel like a lot of pressure. Or it could feel like an opportunity. What if People imitating you, you saw that as an opportunity to show people who Christ was, not who you are, but how Christ would handle this situation, or how Christ would be loving and forgiving in these different situations. What if we were to imitate Christ? You know, there's something interesting about this. If we were to imitate Christ, would the world ask us about him? Right? I think it's 1 Peter 3, 15. Yeah, you hear me quote all the time that, be ready to give a defense For the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Have you ever realized that? You're supposed to give a defense for the hope that is in you. You're not supposed to give a defense for the argument that you started. You're not supposed to make a defense for your really hot take on this particular social issue. You're supposed to defend the hope that is in you. That hope that is the hope of the world. The light of Jesus to the world. And look, we're supposed to imitate those, and look what it says, "Who's th- through faith and patience inherit the promises, who live out the promises of God. And let me ask you a question. Is God faithful with his promises? Right, do we believe that? So what does that mean? Like I, I made a list. This is just seven of the 50, 100 promises that we see in God's word. I want, you to, I want to read some of these promises for you. And I want you to ask this question Do I believe that God is faithful in this? For example, look at this. This is Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you believe that God will keep you at perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on him? That means if in your life there's chaos, where's your mind? Is it centered on him? Because when your mind centers on him, whew, there's peace. And it says it in many other places. Do you remember Philippians 4, I think it's 6 through 8, talks about, Do be anxious about nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, bring your request before God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus that you can have anxiety-free life. You can have peace if you keep your mind stayed on him. Because when the finances are falling apart, he's going to be my provider. Woo, it's good stuff. So then the question is really, do I think God is going to follow through on his promise? Do I believe him? Look, look at this, this next one, Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do you believe that God will never leave you and forsake you? Do you believe he is always with you? Man, you should walk in confidence. God Almighty is with me. I don't need to fear. What can they do to me? Do we walk in that confidence? Do we walk like God is never going to leave us or forsake us? Do we walk as if we're never alone? We're never alone. Do we get lonely? Yes, but we're never alone because God is always with us, and he is our friend. Not just our Savior, but he's our friend. Look what it says in Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. How many of us want to be surrounded by love? Everyone? Isn't this a core belief of everyone in the world? Whether they believe in Jesus or not, they want to be surrounded by love. Where is that love? That love found in trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. So many people in the world are searching for someone to love them. Someone does love them. Jesus. He's the hope of the earth. So we've got to be that same hope. We've got to be the light to tell them about these promises. Again, do we believe the promises of God? He will instruct us. He will teach us. He will surround us with love. You will find rest for your souls. Woo! Look what it says here um, in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of us want rest? Where is that rest found? At the feet of Jesus. Right? At the feet of Jesus. So look at 2 Corinthians 12. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you believe him? His grace is sufficient. That means you cannot out God. Do you believe that God's grace is sufficient for all the mistakes you've made in the past? All of them, even the big ones. Do you believe it? What about the ones you're going to commit today? What about your future ones? Is his grace enough? Do you believe it? I don't, I don't think we do sometimes. I think we doubt his promises. Lord, but if you knew, if you knew what I did, I, he knows. He does. And he still paid the price for us. Man, what if we? Oh, let's keep going. Okay, First Peter two, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his <clears throat> by his wounds we have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Woo! We can die to sin. Do you believe that? You can be set free from that addiction. You can be set free from that lie. You can live in righteousness. We can live following him, and he's not going to lead us astray. Do we believe in that promise, that he will lead us and guide us? Look at Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Do you believe the Lord fights for us? Are we ready to be silent before our accusers? Because look at Christ, the perfect example of trusting in the promises of God. And he's standing before the people like a sheep ready for the slaughter. Are we ready to be silent before our accusers, before the people that are upset and angry, or do we feel a need to defend ourselves? Who is our defender? The Lord God Almighty. And listen, you may not be defended on this earth. People may not... Forgive you on this earth. I mean, if his grace is sufficient, why don't we pour it out to others in the same way? Right? This, these are the promises of God. Do we believe them? Do we trust in them? They, they should change us. They should move us in a different way. This is the good news of the gospel message. This is what he's encouraging them. Follow those who understand the promises of God and live in them. Imitate them as well. And then he's going to give us an example. Then God's going to say, "Here's an example of my faithfulness." Right? Look what he says in verse thirteen: "For when God made a promise to Abraham, father Abraham, had many sons. Right? We think of it as a kid's story, right? Right? Y'all might be singing it in Honduras, right? I don't know. We used to sing it in Honduras just because we like the movement part of it. Um, but it's not a kid's story because look what he's saying: "For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear." He swore by himself. Here's what he's saying. I want to imagine. Okay, I said, hey, Eric, I'm going to call you this afternoon. I, I promise. How confident is Eric that I'm going to call him? Pretty good, right? First service, Johnny had no confidence in me. No confidence. He's like, eh, maybe, right? Eric, thank you for your confidence, right? right? Yeah, so if I promise something, how does Eric know that I would call him? Because he knows my character. Right we believe people who promise things based upon their character right ooh I'm sorry husbands do we do the things that we promise no <laughs> amen right? so sometimes we worry why we say we're going to do something and our wife doesn't trust us good news don't project us on God right God's promises stand firm Ours are based upon our character. So here's what God is saying in this: He's saying, like, I, okay, I could I could make some I could make an oath to you. I, I'll show you that these promises are true. So I could say, hey Eric, I'm going to call you, and, and if I don't call you, you can have this piece of trash in my pocket. Okay? I make I make an oath with you. It is written. I make an oath with you. Trash in my pocket if I don't call you. Is that a strong oath? No. What if it's like, hey, I say, hey, here's the keys to my truck, and if I don't get back to you this afternoon, you can have it. That's a stronger oath, right? Here's my firstborn son. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, the more that you put on the line, the stronger your promise, the stronger your oath, right? And here's what God is saying. There's nothing greater than me. So I put putting myself on the line. That if this doesn't happen, I'm not God. This will happen, and I'll show you that I'm God. And you can take it to the bank. This prophecy, this thing that I'm promising you will happen or else don't believe in me. That's what God is saying. There's nothing greater than God to promise on. So he promises on his own character, saying in verse 14, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Woo, here's the hard part. What does patiently waiting mean to you? If I was like, Brian... How long does patient waiting mean to you? If I said, hey, I'm going to get back with you, just wait for it. Be patient. A day? Five minutes? Five? Okay, I got five minutes. I right, to get back with you. I don't think I'm going to be done by then. All right? Um, five minutes. 25 years Abraham waited for the promise. 25 years. Can you imagine? Hey, I'll call you in 25 years. All right? <laughs> what? 25 years? Where are we even going to be at at that point, right? Like the Jetsons or something at that point. I mean, is, our world is going so fast. Um, can you imagine trusting God's promise for 25 years, waiting? These promises in your life. Wait. I was talking to Paul in the foyer just a little while ago, and we don't always get to see the end of the story, do we? we're waiting patiently and we're praying patiently for those around us, we don't always get to see the end of the story. That's one of the beautiful things about being in this community for so long. And this community has changed a ton. I've lived in this community since 1995. There was no Plum Creek then. It's changed a little bit in those years. We have Costco soon. What? We didn't have HEB. We had Fonzies and Bon Ton. That was all. That was it. Well, We had Burger King back then. And that was all we had. And now we see things changing. Are we ready to wait on the Lord even through all that time and through all those changes? He says, surely I will bless you and multiply. Do you may know where that quote is from? It's from Genesis 22. All right, you remember Genesis 22. This was the time that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one, his Isaac, to sacrifice the son of the promise. God asked him to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, and Abraham went to do it. And, and after he stopped him to short, no, he provided a substitute for him, right? And after that, in verse 17, um, he says this, I surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. That he was will, he says, reassuring that promise to him. Why does the author of Hebrews quote from this story? Why does he quote from here? He could have quoted from Genesis 12 where Abraham was being called out and he was going to be made into a great nation. Or, or Genesis 15 where he's talking about his descendants like the stars of, of the sky. And he could have quoted from those. But he quoted from this story. Why? Well, Go up to verse 14. I think we see some of that reason. Because remember our theme in the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's greater than all these things. Look what it says again in verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said on to, even to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On this mount I will provide a sacrifice, a sacrifice to die in his place. What was that mount called? If you go to verse 2, Mount Moriah. And then if you go to 2 Chron- Chronicles 3.1, it actually says that Solomon was going to build the temple in Jerusalem on top of Mount Moriah. That the same place that Abraham was going to sacrifice, Isaac became the place where the temple was going to be and became the place where our Lord and Savior became the substitute for us. The one and only son died in his place. Woo, good story. Why would the author point us back to the story? Because it says that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Ooh, good story. Good stuff, right? Let's go back. i got to finish sometime today. Okay, we'll keep going. All right, so he says this, um, "...for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation." So we have these promises, and then he confirms them with his oath, where he swears there's nothing greater to swear on than himself. He makes this oath with him. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Did you notice something? The promise was not just for Abraham. Because it says there in these verses, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, who is that? That's us. We're the heirs of the promise. We're the heirs of eternal life, if you remember back to what it talked about in Hebrews 1. He said, he promised the unchangeable character of his purpose. Now, we trust in God's character, that he has a purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, from his promises and his oath, those are the two unchangeable things that we have. Through those two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, have you ever played those trivia games where someone's like, okay, what is, the, what is something that God can't do? He can't lie, right? This is one of the things. Why, why can he not lie? Because he is truth, right? So we have this thing. But you see this in a more complicated way when you get into the world. Have you ever heard this, like, um, people try to trip you up and say, can God make a rock? so big that he can't move it, right? Have you ever heard that analogy? And it causes people to go, I don't know. Can God make that? Can he do this? And it causes us to have some, some fret. But let me ask you this question. Um, draw for me on your paper a two-sided triangle. Somebody draw a two-sided triangle. Anyone? You can't. You know why? Two sides make an angle, Acute, right, obtuse, straight angle. What's up with that in math? 180 degree angle. That makes no sense. That's a line. Anyway, um, too much math for you guys this morning, right? But you can't make. It's impossible to make a two-sided triangle because by definition, a triangle has three sides, right? So in the same way, can God make a rock so big that he can't? I mean, God can do anything. God is all powerful. There isn't something that He could make that that he, it's, it's impossible. So we believe in the power of God. And what you're asking him to do is to make something that's impossible. You're asking him to make a two-sided triangle. So, so don't give in to the little word pictures and the little tricks that people try to use to say these things that God's character is not right. His character is sure. And we could trust in his promises. Again, what's our overarching question? Do we believe the promises of God? Because if we did, we'd have perfect peace. We'd have grace as a sufficient for us in all these different things. And then he says this, verse 19, why it's so important. We have this as a, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Woo, that's good. Do you remember our anchor analogy? Do you remember the boat? And we had the little picture of the boat, and then we had the anchor that went down, right, to the ground, and then all of a sudden the anchor, like, sometimes it's halfway because we're kind of committed, but we're not fully committed in there, right? Where, what is the anchor of our soul? The promises of God that we trust God we trust the promises we trust that when we give our life when we believe with our heart in him we confess with our mouth that we are saved and we believe and we have a joyful confidence in God that he will follow through on his promise that we will be saved and he ends the chapter with this sort of like teaser have you ever been in the, how many of y'all read fiction anybody read fiction where like at the end of a chapter, they always leave you with a cliffhanger. They're like, and the door opened and suddenly, dun-dun-dun. You're like, oh, i got to find out who. You turn the next chapter and you read the whole chapter at the very end. And like, and before they knew it, the room went dark. What happened? What happened? And you go to the next chapter, right? This is what he's doing here. He's going to give you sort of a, a teaser to the rest of the book of Hebrews. He says, um, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, that we have access to God and the mercy seat through Christ. And then he says, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, it's a name we're going to get to know really well next week because all next week is about this mysterious guy named Melchizedek. He shows up in the book of Genesis and then he's gone. And the book of Hebrews is puts a whole chapter out there about what this man's purpose was to point us towards the great high priest who is Jesus. So that's your teaser to come back next week. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have given us promises. That, Lord, we can remain firm and steadfast in you. Now we can trust you. Lord, I thank you for this incredible list of promises. Lord, give us perfect peace. Help us this week to have our minds stayed upon you. Lord, help us this week to trust in you because in that we have fullness of joy. In that, Lord, we're surrounded by love. Lord, help us to be the, live that way this week with joyful confidence in you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we want to end our time today with just a special time of prayer. And so I want to invite our Honduras team. If you're going to Honduras um, this next week, I want you guys to come on down. And uh, we're going to have just a time of prayer and celebration because next Sunday, They'll be gone. So this is their last Sunday before they leave on this week-long mission trip. So Rudy, come on down. Is there anybody in this group? Okay. They are uh,
2: third service people. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not missing anyone else before I start. Kelly's coming down. Noah. There is 25, sorry, I didn't, you hugged me, I didn't hug you, sorry. (laughs) There is 25 of us going to Honduras, and what's exciting about 25 people going is they're part of you, this body, and God is sending people, oh, hey, Chad made it. (laughs) God is sending us out, he's sending us out to declare his glory, and he's sending them out, and he's been preparing them for 12 weeks to be able to go out next Sunday. We will be flying at this time on our way to Honduras. You could tell by their smiles that they're ready. <laughs> we, we were really ready. Church, thank you. Thank you for all you did to prepare us. Thank you for sending us. So let's go in prayer and send them out in the right way. Father, we just lift up these individuals to you. We first give you thank you. We give you thanks, Lord, for the things that you've done so far to get us to this point but we also thank you that you do go before us so that we ask you to send your mighty angels lord to for protection for safety lord give all these individuals the tongue and the mouth to speak about you in a passionate and a compassionate way to the hondurans lord we lift up the hondurans to you as they're preparing to receive us Lord, we're going we're to walk through seven villages. In each village we just lift up to you at this moment. Lord, we lift up the family members of those who are leaving, that they have that peace because we know we're going with God. And with him, everything is possible. So we just continue to ask that we put on our full armor of God on this trip. And everything that we need is based upon you Supplying us the needs. Father, we know that uh, the leaders have been preparing for far more than 12 weeks. So we ask that you continue to give them the confidence in you and what was prepared a long time ago going on this trip. So be with them as when decisions come up and uncertainties arise, that they lean on you for that understanding. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you've been doing in these people. And we ask in all these things, your name, amen. Church, we want to leave you with a message. In Psalm 96.3, it says this, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all peoples. Church, be encouraged today by the message you heard from God. And when you leave these doors, declare his glory to all the nation. God bless you and have a wonderful day.